We will review the main newspapers to begin with. And with me in studio, Brendan Keenan, business columnist with the Irish Independent, Declan Power, security and defence analyst, and Roisin Shortall, who is the co-leader of the Social Democrats. Good morning to you all. And it is fair to say, lady and gentlemen, that uh, the Sunday newspapers have... Uh, they're worth the purchase price this morning, I think, is probably the best description to put on it. We, we'll go through the front pages to begin with. The Sunday Times... O'Sullivan told journalist met abused, uh, in inverted commas, girl. The former head of Garda Press Office said he texted Noreen O'Sullivan to say a journalist had interviewed a woman making unsubstantiated allegations of sex abuse against Maurice McCabe. The message, sent in February 2014, is said to be proof the commissioner was aware of a smear campaign orchestrated by force management. The Garda commissioner has denied the allegation made by David Taylor, a superintendent she suspended for passing sensitive information to journalists almost two years ago. Taylor says O'Sullivan responded to his text message by saying... Perfect. A tailor has also claimed that he and his guy, the superiors, discussed stories written by journalist Paul Williams in the Irish Independent, in which the woman was quoted as demanding an investigation into an unidentified guy, now known to be a reference to McCabe. And there's more in that article, which we will come to later on. Uh, on the other side of the front page of the Sunday Times, next to a photograph of C.J. Stander. Um, behaving, as he did yesterday, like a tank through the Italians. Um, their story is Fianna Fáil opens 11-point lead over Fianna Gael. Fianna Gael has fallen two points to 21% in the latest Sunday Times business uh, behaviour and attitudes poll, while Fianna Fáil has opened an 11-point lead over its traditional rival. This is Fianna Gael's third drop in successive months and leaves the party seven points below the standing of 28% in November 2016, just as Enda Kenny struggled to contain this crisis over the handling of super, of Garda Sergeant Morris McCann. McCabe. Uh, the Sunday Independent goes with the headline that should fill any government TD with a little bit of dread. Grotesque, unbelievable, bizarre, unprecedented, which of course is a throwback to the MacArthur affair. That's the language that was used at the time. Was Charles Yahoy actually? Was He came up with Gubu. Um, on the front of the Sunday Independent, exclusive new twist in McCabe saga, McGuinness to make explosive claims, Callanan, I'm advised to stay silent, review reveals fresh Tusla failures. Philip Ryan has the lead article there. Shocking new failures by Tusla are revealed in an internal review of the Child and Family Agency's handling of false child sex abuse allegations against Morris McCabe, an internal audit which has been seen by this newspaper, found that the agency failed to contact or establish the credibility of the alleged victim before launching a child sex abuse investigation into Sergeant McCabe. It also reveals uh, there's no evidence on file that the sex abuse allegations were communicated to the HSC by Angartha Siakana when they were first made in 2006. And it makes reference to John McGuinness, former chair of the Public Accounts Committee, who has stated for the first time, according to the Sunday Independent, that Martin Callan, the former Gartha Commissioner, detailed false child abuse allegations about the Gartha whistleblower when they secretly met in a car park in January of 2014. For the record, Martin Callan has said he will not be engaging publicly on the issue and gave a statement um, to the newspaper saying, in not so engaging, I must point out that it is not to be taken as agreement with any content of any matters raised in the correspondence that they sent to him. Uh, the Sunday Business Post, they go with Gubu as well. Um, Garda Gubu, they call it. A secret email raises new questions on Garda role in false abuse claims. Ross, furious confidence in Zapone, hits all-time low. Former Sindo editor condemns McCabe media smear campaign. A secret email obtained by the Sunday Business Post has raised questions as to whether or not senior Garda contacted the HSE councillor at the centre of the false sex abuse claims against Morrison McCabe. The controversy is escalating this weekend with influential cabinet minister 
Shane Ross, understood to have lost confidence in his Cabinet colleague Catherine Zappone for not briefing him at all about the existence of serious false allegations against McCabe. One non-McCabe story, if I can put it that way, in the front of the Sunday Business Post that I want to get to. Eli Lilly, they have delayed €200 million Euro investment in Cork amid fears of a clampdown on the pharmaceutical sector by the newly elected US President Donald Trump. So that's the chill wind I was talking about earlier. And the front of the Irish Mail on Sunday, the one-week insomnia cure is not Doyle TV, but uh, we'll come back to that. A Coalition on the Rack is their front-page story. Zappone flies into storm over McCabe crisis after family event in Seattle. Kenny faces vote of no confidence. Fianna Fáil insider calls Gar the chief lame duck. Whistleblower wants a criminal inquiry, warning of more revelations to come. Breathless it may seem, but breathless it is, and it is a story that is gathering a pace, and we will go to the panel and Roisin Shortall about it, first of all. <sighs> I'm trying to contextualise this because I think it's easy that we can get we could lose the run of ourselves here and say, well, this is going to precipitate a, a crisis that will lead to the fall of government. But there are so many elements at play here, so many pieces of the jigsaw that are coming together long ahead of Mr. Charlton's investigation, Judge Charlton's investigation into this. At what point are we in the political process, Roshin? Do you think we are close to a, a, a serious question over the continuity of government? Well, I think certainly if the question is raised about whether people have confidence in the present government, um, it is very hard to see how anybody can vote confidence in the present government. Do you know, when you look through the papers today, when you consider all of this saga unfolding over the last six, five or six years, um, it is disturbing on so many different levels. I mean, The two very fundamental institutions in this country are, first of all, the policing authority, the Gardaí, and the Child Protection Agency. Now, if we have got to a point where you cannot have confidence in either of those agencies, well, that is, is a matter of the most seriousness. Um. Do you know, there, I, I think there is a crying need for a criminal investigation to be carried out into all of these issues surrounding um, the, the Sergeant McCabe issue. But the big difficulty for us is that we cannot identify anybody who is capable of carrying out that criminal investigation that will inspire any kind of confidence in the public or in the political system for that matter. Look, this nightmare has been going on for Maurice McCabe since 2006, now over 10 years. But in terms of public administration, um, guard the responsibility, political responsibility, it has been going on since 2012. And a number of the papers provide um, a timeline on the entire saga. And I was just looking back at this yesterday and it's all started in terms of the issues regarding the penalty points uh, saga arising in November 2012. So almost five years ago. And since then, there have been seven different official reports carried out on that issue. And we're now talking about embarking on a third commission. Now, you know, the saying goes that the definition of insanity is when you keep doing the same thing and you expect a different result. 
This is an issue that was raised by Maurice McCabe and John Wilson back in November 2012, where they expressed serious concerns about malpractice in relation to the handling of penalty points. That's what it was about then. And the failure of the Gardaí and the political system to respond appropriately to that has brought about a situation that is dangerously close to an appalling vista at this stage, in my view. Is, is Gulbu, uh, which has been used on the newspaper, is that accurate? Are we at are, are we at MacArthur levels here, or is, is that hyperbole by the newspaper? Well, if you're at a point where you don't have confidence in the Garda's ability, the Gar- the ability of the Garda Shikona to investigate an issue thoroughly and openly and honestly, and I think we are at that point. And if you're at a, a point where the Child Protection Agency cannot be trusted and is at a very minimum incon- incompetent and potentially um, compromised uh, because of their failure to address these serious allegations properly, you know, the question does arise, is there something more sinister going on there in relation to Tusla? If we cannot answer those questions, well, then we have a very serious problem that goes to the very heart of our democracy and that needs to be addressed urgently by government. And the fact of the matter is that it's very hard to have any kind of confidence in Enda Kenny or any of his, his government colleagues to actually deal with this appropriately because he has failed on on uh, on nine different occasions over the last five years. And, and, and that is the point, Brenda Keenan, that, that I was making, that this has dogged Fine Gael. This, this has been something that has been consistently in the background, brought to the fore occasionally, and as Roshan has pointed out, commissions of inquiry or, or inquiries will be launched and reports will come out and there'll be hand-wringing and promises to change things and introductions of new authorities and so on. But here we are, Again, at the point at which this this same poor, unfortunate individual has been put through the ringer unnecessarily and, and, and we're none the wiser. Yeah, the one thing that's not goo is it's not unprecedented. It's anything but unprecedented, as Rushing has just said. So we'll call it goob. Uh, <laughs> and that is the problem. And it's very interesting to mention the penalty points, right, where this started, uh, if you're a modest enough matter. The Garda investigation found no problem with penalty points. The new Garda inspectorate was so shocked by that that it conducted its own investigation with less resources than the Garda Shiakana has and within 10 days discovered a major problem. Now, one waited to see the resignation of the senior Garda officer in question, whoever it was, uh, who was responsible for that either ridiculously flawed investigation, which meant he or she was incompetent. And by which I should say she, I'm just saying... Well, no, we have no, to... No, let's, 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 let's be careful. Don't bandy that word don't, around no, too don't, 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 let me say what I was just about to say. I'm saying I don't know who the officer was, and the he or she is, because it could have been a man or a woman. Because I'm, we're not talking about the smear campaign. We're talking about the fact that for years and years and years, senior guard officers have been allowed to get away with dereliction of duty. And look at themselves. And look at them. And... and pay the consequences for either incompetence or something else. And so each time, as Rushing says, it gets worse and worse, and what was penalty points is now where we are. So, uh, and that goes back, way, way back. I do not know any senior politician that I've ever discussed this with who had any interest in changing the relationship between Angarda Shia Khanna and the government via the Department of Justice. 
It's a state police force. They like it that way. And they just want all these problems to go away and be buried so they can return to the very comfortable situation where the Guardi serve not just the state but the government of the day mm. and the government of the day looks after the Guardi. But we, we, we have, to, to use a crude phrase, the bodies are already piled high. We can start listing the people who have who've lost out over this already with the, conf- the original confidential recipient, Declan. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, we, we had Martin Calden. Uh, we had the, de- the Secretary General of the Department of Justice previously. A lot of people have already been thrown under the bus. Now it looks like Catherine Zapone is being lined up in front of the 46A and, and, and she may be somehow brought out. Is, is that how we're just going to keep doing it? We're going to keep claiming scalps along the way but not actually address the issue? Well, unfortunately, um, that seems to be the case at the moment. Uh, that's what people are obsessing about, which will be um, uh, an unfortunate move because it's not going to address the the rottenness that needs to be excised from Irish society and the uh, the structure of Angarda Siakana. And it's more than Angarda Siakana, as Roshin has already articulated. Uh, our primary agency for child welfare and dealing with child abuse has been found severely wanting here. Um, just to add a couple of things, the, the two spe- previous speakers have, 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 have elucidated on this in a way that I have no issue at all with. I agree with all of the statements made. The penalty points thing, uh, we should remember that even before that, Sergeant McCabe was making references to poor stewardship of Angarda Siakana in the area he was a station sergeant, in the district that he was a station sergeant. He was talking about lack of uh, management and leadership of a junior Gardaí who were arriving out uh, to stations, that you know, it wasn't, you know, th- there wasn't enough supervisory um, structure for them. And that wasn't been uh, that has never really been adequately responded to. He was talking about procedures uh, in, and investigations at a comparatively low level, but how they were being badly handled. So he didn't start off with the penalty points. He started off with the basic problems as he saw it as a functioning Garda sergeant and issues to do with the stewardship of Garda in his area. And that has never been fully addressed. And now we're looking at a situation that. How could that be addressed? Because we've seen that there are major inadequacies within the senior layers of management within Garda Siakana. And this brings me back to a bigger point uh, that Brendan was talking about. We're a small state, a small country, and we have insisted on vesting all our law enforcement assets, our state security assets, and you know it, it, the, the lion's share for law enforcement into one agency. Maybe we have been expecting too much of it. And we have never... Uh, created provision for it to move forward in a, in a modern way to develop a modern management and leadership core uh, like other police services and we have constantly hid behind the excuse that well no uh, in the British constabularies they can do that because they don't have state security as their remit or in Australia uh, well we couldn't do that because of X or Y one uh, issue and the, the state has never looked at it uh, is divesting some of the state security uh, responsibilities from Angarda Siakana so that we could have one state agency that deals with law enforcement in a, in a straightforward way and, and I, clean I, that we, up, cleaning that up, and another say. agency we, that we, focuses. Instead, we've, we've we're falling between two we, stools. We have a statutory, I mean, this yeah, goes no, back we, to the point. We have a statutory body now responsible for child welfare yeah. called TUSLA that yeah, was okay. spun out from the yeah, HSE. Uh, so that's and, taken and some responsibility from the guard. Yeah, and let's just address that for a second. That seems to me to be an example of just how not to do things. Because what we've done here, TUSLA, who exactly are TUSLA? 
And I ask that question. What I mean is, let's get into the operational side of it. Who are the people who carry out investigations? What is their background? How are they selected? What kind of op- um, operational investigative training do they have? We know within Angarda Shikana, we know within GSOC the kinds of people that are selected and the track record they have to have. Tuzla have left themselves to be severely wanting in this area. And I can't figure out which is worse. Is it the level, is it that it was a total incompetence or was there a level of malevolence? And I think incompetence is stretching the public's credulity to a breaking point at this okay. point. Exactly. I mean, th- that is the question about Tuzla. You know, is it incompetence or is there something more sinister? And we need to get answers to th- those questions now. It's not sufficient to kick that into a commission of investigation because we need assurances that the Child Protection Agency is actually functioning properly. But we have, and, to, and no, that, see, we have we, to be careful. Yeah, because Russian's tu- right. Russian's absolutely so she's right. right. But Tusla, there are good people doing good work in there. But the whole thing is well, potentially being brought down by the second child. A man's reputation has been danced over case here. Or not. And we have no assurance that it, that Tusla can actually do the job that it was set up to do. If it made such monumental mistakes as were outlined over the last few days, what confidence <coughs> can we have that it is actually capable of responding to serious complaints? And I have to say that Minister Zappone <coughs> is politically responsible for the operation of Tusla. And it's too easy just to kick it into a commission of investigation, we need responses in the short term in we relation just, we just to go whether back to it's investigation. Roger made the point earlier, you know, there's nobody to look into these things and so we run every so often to a judge. The Garda Ombudsman, right, ought to be able yeah. to deal with this. Why can it not? Because the Garda Ombudsman, like the Garda Inspectorate and everything else, has been set up by Irish governments, including governments which Roger's party was a member, specifically designed to be ineffective. They make them look... No, Russian's looking at me. Fianna Gael, Fianna Fáil and Labour are all in this for the last 25 years. And whenever anything comes up, they design institutions that look like the ones, particularly in Britain or maybe in America. But when you read the small print, they are not like them. They are ineffective and they are designed to be ineffective so that the minister of the day has the final say. And so there is nobody when there is a crisis that has the ombudsman doesn't have the authority or the power and nobody else. And you run off to a judge and that is not the proper way to do these things. Sorry, could I just say that my party, the Social Democrats, has been saying for some time (laughs) that what we need is an independent anti-corruption agency. Like the question is, who who guards the guards? We have GSOC, we we, we have the policing authority, we have the inspectors. The model that is used at the moment, the commission <coughs> model, is completely inadequate <coughs> because we know that the, the legal basis of that is that it cannot make adverse findings against any individual. Yeah. So it can find out what generally went on, but it cannot say X or Y is responsible and must take take the, the rap for that. You yeah. cannot have accountability unless people can be named and people can be prosecuted. Uh, yeah, I agree. And a commission uh, to create a commission is not to do what needs to be done here, which is a criminal investigation. So this brings us back to the point, how could we go about having a criminal investigation into the matters that we've just been discussing? Uh, one pragmatic way I would examine is, well, we have GSOC, but it's not, it, it, the problem is it's focused on the guards, just like the guard inspector. And this now is an issue beyond the guards. It's a, a by agency yeah. issue. 
And if the guards we? were run properly, the guards could invest too slack, could investigate too slack. It could, you must start with the police. It or you could, get no Brendan, except that the guard, the whole issue of Tulsla at the moment is where there was an intertwining. I mean, yeah. one of the issues is how come Tulsla didn't check that the, the previous guard investigation had concluded and the nature of how it concluded. Yeah. But could, is there a possibility that GSOC could be uh, with the, maybe a legislative adjustment given the mandate to investigate? Because I have to say, one thing is I would have greater um, confidence in a GSOC-led investigation with the right legislative mandate rather than a commission of inquiry okay, because you would have trained criminal investigators I want to get at the heart of the point. I want to get to the point of this because country. this is going to fall back to politicians and, and, and the political establishment which created in many ways all these problems is going to have to deal with this in, in, in a shape or form that is satisfactory. We are now entering into the he said, she said frame of mind in the Dáil. Uh, Sinn Féin have tabled a motion of no confidence this week already. Fianna Foil, and we'll come to the opinion poll, are looking at an 11 point lead over Fianna Gael and going, well, maybe now might be the time to pull the plug on this. And how many seats can we get two TDs in if we went tomorrow? And we will be propelled back into the, cir- the cycle where nothing will actually be achieved on this. And we'll be back to square one again. And that is what I find is the most frustrating part of this. We will discuss this. We will we will wring our hands at the, the misfortune of Morris McCabe. And, and in two years' time, we're probably going to be back here, but I won't be here, but we'll probably be back here doing it again. We yeah. won't take action, is what you're saying, well, because yes. we don't have the instruments. Yeah. And mm. that's what we need to look at. We need to create the instruments. Now, Roshin made a point there about a, uh, an anti-corruption unit or whatever else. Well, maybe maybe that's the w- the one thing that I'd worry about that, Roshin. I could see that getting bogged down into a talking shop. The, I, I, the heart of this is, who is going to do the investigating? I think we need to go beyond tribunals that rumble on and on and judge us. And whatever. We, trained criminal investigators need to be the ones who are at the heart of a criminal investigation. Roshin? Yeah, I mean, that's, as I say, the Social Democrats have been talking about an independent anti-corruption agency that needs to be established that would have full powers of investigation and prosecution. Many other countries have this. We've actually modelled our proposal on a New South Wales very effective unit like that that was established a number of years ago. But, you know, ultimately that's what needs to happen in this country. We need to have an effective way of dealing with corruption because we don't have that at the moment. And, you know, that's why our our But how would you deal with my problem, Roisin, right? That when those proposals are made and when a government of the day, whatever its hue, is forced into action, they produce legislation designed to thwart the purpose how are we going to change the culture among politicians that they actually want to clean up the stable? Because they don't. Well, the public have to force that. And I mean, I think it's quite clear that the public doesn't have confidence in the political system. And that is a challenge for us at a political level. And, you know, irrespective of what happens during the week with the, the vote of no confidence, or irrespective of whether there's a general election, the challenge now is to respond to the emerging appalling vista arising out of what's happening within the Gardaí and the, the, the uh, Child Protection uh, Agency in uh, Tuzla. Yeah. And we need a response to that now. It is not sufficient to set up a commission. But we had a, cab- we, we had a cabinet meeting where, where, where this wasn't even discussed last week. And, exactly. and that's the and, confusion. And, and that's why people don't necessarily have But confidence. that's what the public demand is for this week. Yeah. And we need to put in place a structure that can actually respond to the most fundamental concerns about how yes, our but institutions are Wait, wait, wait. The public demand is there for now that that this week because we know the facts. The argument is the government knew the facts last week and they did nothing about it. And that is a bigger failure. It oh, is, absolutely. But, but do you it's know it's concentrated? 
fundamental failure, failure at a political level and has been the case for the you know since 2012 when this issue first arose. But Declan is making a very important point about the need to put in place a new structure to legislate quickly for that structure. Yeah, and it's to, possible and to that investigate GSOC professionally. Yeah, GSOC could, could be the could instrument. have a role in that. Yeah. But I also think we need you know a public figure somebody you know like Kathleen O'Toole or okay, Nuala yeah. O'Lone who will inspire confidence mm-hmm. a person that can be believed well, to, be yeah. to be fair Mr Justice Charlton is a judge of very high regard and, and will do a good job when he gets into it but it'll take time and but he doesn't necessarily this, have the tools yeah, but I'm saying you're back no to a commission again yeah. on Peter Charlton yeah. but, and I just, I just but he doesn't have the powers to deal with that, it well, and, and that's legislative again I want to just read the, the, the side of the Sunday Times article um, at the time the councillor who was treating the woman who had earlier complained about McCabe and who had mentioned his name in private therapy did not make any allegation of a serious sexual assault. There's a statement from that lady um, in a statement issued to the Sunday Times a solicitor instructed by the woman said she was approached by Gardaí from Cavan in May 2014 and informed that she had not made the complaint in question and knew nothing about the matter concerning Tusla. My client did not know what the Gardaí were talking about. She did not know her counsellor had even made any referral to Tusla naming her as a complainant nor had she made these specific allegations. The Gardaí who contacted her quickly realised that Tusla had made a mistake and we understand the Gardaí immediately informed the Child Protection Agency of this, said the solicitor. My client is deeply upset and traumatised by the events of the past week. Now, can I say something here for a second? And I think this addresses something that uh, Brendan was saying earlier in terms of uh, what is the incentive to clean up things and the piece that you've been reading out. The common denominator here that we shouldn't lose sight of is what has driven our to look at this is the fact that a reputation of an ordinary decent police officer was trampled all over and dragged through the mire. And he and his family have been living in a form of purgatory for quite some time. And we shouldn't lose sight of that. I think that's what's exercising the attention of the general public at this point in time. That fact alone, that this man who tried to do his job uh, in an efficient and uh, dutiful manner uh, was made to suffer for it. Now, I think if we're going to have any movement forward on it and some action that uh, is tangible, and that leads to some sort of useful mechanisms in the future. It will be because the public will demand that so that we don't have any more Sergeant Morris McCabe's. We don't have any more ordinary, decent public servants screwed into the ground because of a mixture of ineptitude and malevolence. And we need to keep sight of that. And I think within the media, it's important that uh, balls of smoke aren't allowed perpetrate here, that we don't get focused too much on Catherine's opponent and what she did know and what she didn't know. It's an important point, but there was, a, you know, that we understand the trail of ineptitude. But the key focus has to be on what on earth were Tuzla doing? And what on earth were the levels of linkages between them and Angarda Shiakana? I and think that's, that's exactly it. where you have to be careful. That's exactly <laughs> what is bothering me about this. We do not know enough about this yet to actually accuse uh, Tusla uh, of anything other than the very difficult issue. And how many problems have there been down the years of genuine problems of how to deal uh, with, with child abuse problems? And I've always been dubious about the haste at which the legislation was drafted to deal with those. Because you can read lots and lots in the papers, you say, and it's all worth reading. But I'll guarantee our listeners that this, if they read every word that's in the papers today, from start to finish, they will still not know at the end what happened. And none of us do. (laughs) So so let's go back to the basics. You're quite right. The very basics is, was Garda Sergeant McCabe deliberately smeared because he was a whistleblower? And if so, by whom? 
Yeah. That's what the judge has to and find out. Was, we should be careful to be say about balls of proceedings. smoke. Hmm? If he was, well, there must be criminal that, yeah, proceedings. Out, yeah. And that's in three years' time when we'll all have forgotten about this and there'll yes, be another it, scandal occupied. Yeah. I need to talk about politics. I need to talk about the rest of the newspapers. We could talk about Gubu Nua all day, but we'll take a break for the minutes. Stay with us. And they're not joking, the newspapers are the complete read today because they are full jam-pack of news and we better get to some of the other parts of it. Roisin Shortall, Declan Power and Brendan Keenan are on the panel and we, we'll talk about that opinion poll, Brendan, on the Sunday Times again. This 11-point lead, Fianna Fáil, the party dead and buried uh, with O'Leary in the grave and, and here we are now looking at a party that conceivably um, will only need, what, maybe a dozen or two to, to support them in it as, as the largest party in government based on those well, numbers. I've been around long enough to see the British Conservative Party dead and buried, the British Labour Party dead and buried and the Canadian Liberal Party dead and buried and they're all three, you know, Labour is now being dead and buried again. And the, the only known example that, that I know of of a party that actually disappeared essentially was the British Liberal Party uh, because, you know, parties are a brand and uh, the thing about elections that everybody forgets, you know, is that you have to elect a government or get rid of a government. There has to be somebody on the other side of the ledger. So I'm not surprised in the sense that the Fianna Fáil brand is still around. And I suppose one would have to say that, that, that you know, Michal Martin, while he may not exactly have transformed the party, uh, has shifted its image. But even if he didn't, you know, you come election time, the candidates are in front of you, you must pick one. But in this particular poll, it's the, one of those cases where it's not the economy, stupid. A government undoubtedly is suffering from all the stuff that we've just been talking about. But I think a lot, a lot of this poll was taken before, uh, yep. you know, yep. what hit the van over this. So they were unpopular yes. before last Wednesday. Imagine how they're, uh, they are now. But it's not the time that Fianna Fáil wants to go. It's a real Hobson's choice for Fianna Fáil, Roisin, because they see those numbers. Now, behaviours and attitude, they might look at that a little snootily compared to maybe the Red Sea, but they look at those numbers and say... God, that'd be lovely if it happened, but we might need Fianna Gael to prop us up and if we feck them out of government at what is conceivably the first real opportunity, maybe they won't be as kind to us when we're looking for their help in a few months' time. Yeah, I mean, I think Irish politics is in a state of flux at the moment. Um, you know, and not before time <laughs> that um, there's shifting of position in terms of the original two-party system and we're going through a transitionary period at the moment and there are ups and downs in the polls obviously. Um, I think probably the Sunday Business Post Red Sea tracking poll is a more reliable um, gauge of what's happening. But you know Fianna Fáil can't have any confidence that they would win an election by any means or that they would even come close to an overall majority. I think they're going to come under extraordinary pressure this week because they're in this arrangement with Fine Gael and when it's put up to them uh, when they're asked whether they have confidence in Enda Kenny and his colleagues in Fine Gael, I mean can they actually honestly answer yes to that question? Uh, who can say they have confidence in the present government? And even leaving aside all of the McCabe stuff that has been unfolding over recent days, I mean, prior to that, you have a housing crisis. You have a completely dysfunctional health service. You have major problems with, you know, um, people in negative equity and huge issues about the future of the country, lack of any kind of long-term planning, uh, investment in infrastructure, all of those kind of issues were still very much on a knife edge in terms of the viability of the economy. And we have the threats of Brexit and the whole Trump thing coming down the tracks. So 
who has actual confidence in Fine Gael to deal with those issues? Very few th- people, th- I think. Those sitting in cabinet, certainly if they were here... They Very few have people have. And then when you look at the omni-shambles, as it's been, been described by many people, over the last five years in relation to their response to the issues in the Gardaí, um, you know, how can you say that they're competent people? How can you say that they have any sense of needing to get to the bottom of things and sort things but out? Are you not ignoring that? And I, again, I'm not putting on a blue shirt or anything. But are you ignoring all the positives that are out there? That the economy has recovered. That we are creating jobs. That we have, you know, brought us back from the precipice. Yes, they haven't got everything right. But, but there are major problems holding the country back. There's always been but, major problems holding but, the country back. That's apart, the same discussion but, we've sorry, just had. No, no, no. Sorry. Apart from the economic issues, I mean issues of probity are very, very important within any society. And throughout the last five years in relation to the whistleblower issue, you never got any sense at any point that Enda Kenny wanted to get to the bottom of this and sort it out, wanted to roll back the stone and find out exactly what's happening. What he has done is he's tried to manage the story all along. It's media management that he's been engaged in. Set up this inquiry, set up, you know, appoint this judge to deal with it, take it off the political agenda and somehow bury it. That has been the approach. So at no point has the Taoiseach led from the front in relation but to this it, it, and said we're going to tackle those serious problems yeah. within the Gardaí, sort them out and get to the bottom but of it. But there's always something, Declan. Yeah. There's always something that'll catch a government out and, and a coalition government as we have had in this country. There's always something that'll bring them down. You, you delve into this and you see Catherine's opponent, the pressure she's going to come under yeah. now. You see Shane Ross in the Sunday Business Post is quoted uh, as having lost confidence in, in Zabon or at least mm. questions. They wouldn't have been politically close going into Cabinet anyway, but less so now, you would argue. And all the work that Fine Gael would trumpet if they were here being undone by something like this. I think Fine Gael could trumpet whatever they wanted. That's, you know, not the issue. That It didn't work for them in the last election, really. But Having said that, let me counterbalance the other thing that uh, when Roshan was making her points there. I don't think, despite all that was been said, that there's any great appetite with the general public for an election right now. I think there is there is no appetite for it. And I'm sitting here as somebody with no particular poli- political axe to grind. When it comes to the leadership issues you were talking about with regards to Enda Kenny, I think where ordinary people are concerned, it's the big issue stuff and how it will affect them. Jonathan, uh, when you were going through your, your, your litany of points there, uh, housing would be one thing that I think your listeners, um, uh, depending on their age group and their economic situation, would have zeroed in and thought, yeah, that's, you know, the prices seem to be going up, according to what David McWilliams is uh, saying and writing, that we're kind of going back in the direction we were, which is ludicrous to think we didn't learn from the past another but ne- bubble. Yeah, the, another bubble but the thing is what, and what other people would be concerned about too is how is Brexit going to be managed what is the government's now I don't think a lot of Irish people have a huge confidence at the moment in the statements coming from government about Brexit just taking a big broad brush stroke issue yet on the other hand I don't think there's any great appetite for anyone to want to replace them because I think what most people feel at the moment is let things judder along for another while uh, because uh, having an election now might just throw everything into disarray. To so, you know, hearing uh, Sinn Féin talk about an election, somebody was saying this to me recently there in the last day or so. It, not enough for them to throw the North into disarray and leave them without political representation at a time when they may sorely need it. Mm. But we're, they're suggesting we do the same at a time where even if it's not the best hand on the tiller, we need some hand on the tiller. Uh, Shay and Gall is listening in this morning. 53106 is the number for your text messages. Good morning to you, Shay. Um, there are several other McCabe's out there 
The media all know the stories, but they don't report it. The media are part of that rotten system. There are, and we, we, we've heard Mick Wallison and Claire Daly in particular talking about the other stories that are out there. Uh, and I suppose the whistleblowers and how protected they feel within Ancarda Shiacon is another matter. But Anne Harris's uh, writing in the... Uh, well, not, she, she was interviewed in, in the Sunday Business Post today and, and she was saying that she was the former Sunday Independent editor. She believes that editors and journalists need to stop closing ranks around sources of of the malicious smear campaign against mm. Maurice McCabe. As the fourth estate, Brendan... Do we have something to answer here? Have we maybe failed Morris McCabe and and other whistleblowers out there? Yeah, I, I think it's gonna. I think it's gonna come up all right. And um, you know, this is something that's interesting. Anne is raising it. it, it it's something that uh, never has been been clarified by journalists, right? Uh, my personal view always was, although I didn't always apply it. Uh, is that if somebody was talking to me off the record, uh, you know, that that's fine if I agree to do it, provided it doesn't turn out that you're telling me lies, then it's no longer off the record. Now, if you follow that as a complete policy, you wouldn't get many uh, stories. But I think that is a question that has to be asked. And it's the question that Anne is raising. I mean, and also the way that stories are, are written, if, if somebody in authority and is well informed tells you something off the record. Uh, yes, you do have to think about their motives and all the rest of it, but uh, there you are, there's somebody uh, who ought to know what they're talking about. And I just think it, that it, the question is going to come up uh, as to how one approaches the question of being lied to off the record. And in my 40 years, I've only briefly once or twice heard that discussed even at conferences and I think that might be the issue. What journalists don't do is set out to generally speaking don't never say never, is set out to smear somebody. But if somebody smears somebody on the off the record to you with information you know, that could well be genuine. And we can already see in this case how the information could look to be genuine as well as the well, source Well, it was, being technically. Rude. That yeah, was yeah, the yeah, damning yeah, exactly. aspect of it, Brendan. So, so that is, a, as you say, that's, that's an issue that usually was confined to the uh, kind of uh, odd journalistic conference and it may well turn up as an issue in this, in this business. Um, I, Sorry, can I add something definitely. to that? Because uh, Brendan is into something very interesting. You see, there's the thing. You know, you're work, we'll say you're a working journalist and you're following up on the McCabe story and somebody kind of sit, sidles up to you for a cup of coffee or a quiet phone call, a source that you've dealt with now and again, says, well, you do know this chap is the subject of an ongoing live investigation by Tuzla. And you make a preliminary inquiry and you find, yeah, that is the case. And straight away, that has skewed your thinking. And that's a fact. And, it, you know, it didn't come to any conclusion or anything like that. But the mere, now, here's the thing. So you're talking about there are loads of other Sergeant McCabe's. And this is the difficulty and the challenge facing us now in Ireland, is that some of those people who feel they are whistleblowers aren't whistleblowers. There are people with spurious allegations. I say that because I factually experienced some of that. People uh, coming to me with what they felt were tip-offs about uh, inappropriate things. And actually what they were doing was blackening some there was of an axe, There was an axe to grab. Yeah. There, and we are a country that actually exists with that whole axe to grind mentality. So what we need now is to plot a, a methodology 
that will uh, or create a methodology that we can plot a course through this so that we don't swing like a pendulum because I think one of the problems and I'm sorry to be kind of going back to it in a way but one of the problems that bedeviled Tuzla perhaps was that for, for generations we mismanaged child welfare and child abuse and now we've gone to the extreme that everybody who shows up with an allegation it has to be treated there's every allegation is treated with the same parity of esteem and that if somebody makes an allegation and nothing comes of it well that's all right even though somebody else has maybe been back but does it does it not have to be treated with the same parity because well, ha- well, you, know, yeah, you have on. to believe somebody who comes forward yes, and says but, something has happened but when it comes to the other end and you find there was nothing to it how do you balance it up that somebody else has been under investigation you know what that, that phrase under investigation and maybe was even suspended from work for a while well but the presumption how of innocence we, we have a presumption, the have a presumption of innocence and where, where was the presumption of innocence but, in but, all of this Roisin on the issue of the response of journalists to this um, Justine McCarthy is making similar points in the Sunday Times today that you know there is responsibility now on journalists to pursue these issues and Miriam Lord yesterday in the Irish Times talked about how you know after the, the PAC hearing that a number of Gardaí were saying well of course you know the story about yeah. Sergeant McCabe that kind of thing and I mean there, there is a big problem here with the 24 hour news cycle and you get very little investigative journalism at the moment in well, Ireland. Well, the reason I you mean, know, sorry, it's not the 24-hour news cycle, it's the fact that there are fewer journalists being employed and well, people who actually have the time to go well, and okay, do this but kind but of... More but, is expected but, in a quicker turnaround. Yes. But the important thing about sticking with an issue and yeah. continuing yeah. to dig and probe it, like Mick Clifford has done an outstanding job in this area. I think John Mooney in the Sunday Times has been very good also. But, you know, a lot of other journalists were aware of things and were, you know you move on then to the next story but also the fact that like so many people knew the the rumours that were going around about Sergeant McCabe and the rumours that were being put about by the Gardaí it makes it all the more unbelievable I think when a senior person in the Gardaí says that she wasn't aware of these rumours I mean, you know, the dogs in the street were aware of them. Uh, I have to say, I never thought I would utter this sentence, but we're going to talk about the North Korean ballistic missile test <laughs> to lighten the mood. For, for life, really. <laughs> yes, absolutely. It's, 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 for, it's, I thought you were going to say the North Koreans have issued a statement <laughs> yeah. about this. They may very they well have an insight. Ireland anymore. Um, th- this thing, Declan, while we have you here, obviously expert in this area, what did they fire and, and should we be worried about it? They've, they test fired a, a missile, but um, no, we shouldn't be worried about it. It's a muscle flexing exercise. We shouldn't be worried about it any more than we should be worried about a number of other incidents that have happened out there. What probably uh, would be interesting is Donald Trump's response. He said that they were standing by their ally, Japan. Uh, it's North Korea kind of just rattling his cage a bit because he's in that region to some extent. I mean, there have been far more serious and far worse things that have been done. Do do they have something? I mean, this managed to find the sea. I don't know whether that was intentional or not, but that's what it landed in. Do they have the capability of sending something a little further, maybe with a nasty surprise on top? Because that's what they claim. Or is that effectively propaganda on the North Koreans' part? There's there's very little hard intelligence that emanates from within North Korea. But uh, the the general consensus would be that uh, they are a threat to their immediate neighbours, but not beyond that. 
the level of threat remains to be seen, but certainly uh, their immediate neighbours take uh, that, the nature of that threat very seriously. And when I say immediate neighbours, I'm talking about obviously South Korea primarily and then uh, Japan and other related Western I, Isn't states. it worry? I, I worry when you hear the words rattle and cage and Trump in the same yeah. sentence because I'd imagine his cage is, is, is prone to be rattled and the, he's the kind of guy, Brendan, who, who would... You know, God knows what he might come out with well, at the sm- smallest provocation. It's very, it's very interesting uh, that he has completely abandoned uh, what he said during the campaign about both China, Taiwan, and Japan. And you know, if you like, that's encouraging. He's not the first politician who broke their election <laughs> promises, uh, and you know, that's an indication that in foreign affairs he is kind of listening uh, uh, to to advice. Uh, and um, you know, he is, he is, he has. Uh, uh, as I say, completely reversed his position on those ones. It's been a slight aside because it's not married, but the thing that astonished me, the North Koreans are trying to get an intercontinental missile. I haven't got one yet, apparently. But Berlin is closer to Pyongyang than Los Angeles. Yes. You wouldn't think that now, would you? <laughs> no, and, and on <laughs> that... You, you, you do a little bit of intelligence <laughs> gathering yourself. He's there, clearly yeah. been Googling yeah. while we were talking. Um, <laughs> on that geographical point, we'll so pause. Be, be very afraid, in other words. <laughs> <laughs> Particularly if you're in Berlin and listening North to us on Korea the internet. Your phone's taking a note We'll talk about the rugby with Richie McCormick and what's coming up and off the ball next. Jonathan Healy on the Sunday show and with me going through the papers we have Brendan Keenan we have Declan Power and we have Roisin Shortall and having just popped in from a very busy off the ball programme prep it's uh, Richard McCormick with you good morning Hey Jonathan Lots of rugby Yeah tons of it and, and rightly so in fairness I don't think we could have asked for better in Rome yesterday I mean it was a 63-10 performance nine tries each of them converted job done I mean this is exactly what we asked of Ireland the only problem is we didn't get two bonus points for the amount of tries that we ran yeah but there was you know we didn't think that was going to be an issue but uh, we were kind of a little disappointed Uh, Simon who is working outside on digital sport today was explaining how they've changed I hadn't paid too much attention to this the way that points are awarded and you know having spent 40 years working out the basic plays in rugby I I, I, had no idea it's now four points for a win four points for a win you get a bonus point if you score four tries or if you finish on the losing end within seven points of your uh, victors you get a point if you lose yeah uh, which we did over in Scotland because yeah. we were that close to them and also if you win the Grand Slam on the off chance that the second place team by not winning all their matches has somehow ended up with as many if not more points than you you end up getting more bonus points because you've won the Grand Slam just to avoid any oh well sure they didn't win as many matches as us how can they possibly win the championship Richie, so, for the love of God well we could well be in that situation by the time des- England come into uh, to Lansdowne Road a few times who designed that system what was wrong with the old one where you got three points for a win one point for a draw and you got the arse kicked off you normally nine times out of ten if you're Ireland some might say the bonus point system has added an extra little wrinkle to this because what we've seen and especially actually in the second week is that Ireland haven't uh, got a chance of winning the Grand Slam obviously but they could quite handily win the championship uh, if they perform to the utmost in the remaining matches. So we could be in a position whereby see, we this, win the Grand Slam. This is where or me, not the Grand Slam, but the championship. This is where me and Brendan Keenan will say this is typical media because about 30 seconds before the ad's well, finished. Has, you, it, has, it, has it, do you think, even in these games, opened up the game? Because there's been a lot of kind of running about and trying to score tries. Is that the bonus points working? To a degree, I think it is. And I think we even saw it from Italy in the early mm. stages yesterday because when they had their first chance to, I think they were within range, they could well have kicked for the corner and they decided to kick for a penalty when they were still 7-0 down because they thought best case scenario we'll keep ourselves within arm's reach here and pick up a bonus point so you never know I just wanted to clarify you did say during the ad break that England were going to win 
the grand the grand slam. And they will, yeah. <laughs> I'm standing by that. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, soccer this afternoon with two matches. Chelsea, of course, uh, riding high. They're yeah. facing Burnley. They're away to Burnley. Yeah, they? everything would say here that Chelsea are going to go 12 points clear because Burnley have never won a Premier League game against Chelsea. But only Tottenham and Chelsea have accrued more home points this season than Burnley. So there's every chance that Burnley could take something from this game. As one thirty kickoff for that one, Kevin and Dave are going to be there. And then uh, we, we talked about the dream turning into a nightmare. Both of these sides just a point above the drop zone now this, this afternoon. Swansea and Leicester. Hold on. After last week, Leicester need a yeah. little bit of love. They need a little bit of love. Valentine's weekend. Swansea are one of these sides who have decided to wait until February before they start playing. <laughs> um, which which often happens. We've seen it. I mean, uh, Watford were one of those up until yesterday and I suppose Hull to a degree too. Uh, but Swansea are one of those who, who've decided, you know what, we'll actually give this a go now. And spurred on by Gilfie Sigurdsson uh, have found themselves picking up points over the last few weeks and doing pretty well for themselves. And he could be the man yet again to, I suppose, break Leicester hearts. Okay, all of the way. So uh, those matches are starting. What, what first kickoff? One thirty uh, for Burnley and then 4 o'clock for Swansea and Leicester. And then we've got Paul Rouse and Eno Reardon on the papers as well. Okay, Richie, thank you very much indeed. Uh, just two stories I want to go to quickly before we finish up. And they're both from the mail. One is hospital meal or prison food. Can you guess which is which? And they show two relatively unappetising meals, I have to say. Uh, but clearly the crappier one is the hospital meal, and it is because it's from St. James's. But Roshin, you, you, you were free to see in the department yeah, Because of it was from St. James's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know, but yeah. I'm just saying hospital grub in general looks a bit, yeah. oh, that's an old rotten, well not rotten, but kind of very limp looking scrambled egg uh, versus bangers and mash, which they got inside in, uh, the, in the in wheat field. But the amount that you get spent on food depends on the hospital. 93 cents is all they spend on the poor patients in Mullingar. What the hell did the people of Mullingar do to deserve that? <laughs> well, I mean, I suppose you could say that the quality of the food is the least of the problems within the health service at the moment. And, you know, the kind of stuff that we saw last Monday night, the, the awful waiting lists should be d- tackled as a matter of urgency. But, you know, what we have here in relation to the quality of food is a massive variation. I think the, they talk about the range is 93 cent per meal up to 7.37 in the royal, meal. That's in the eye and ear. In the eye and ear. So they could grow so, up in the eye and ear. Well done the eye and ear. <laughs> well, no, and it's just expensive. That, we don't know that it's any better. That's true. <laughs> Again, it's kind of it plays into this thing of the black hole that money goes into the health service and we actually don't know where it's going. We don't know whether we're getting value for money and we don't know why there's such a wide variation between hospitals and between areas. And, you know, it, it again points to the need to introduce fundamental reform to yeah. how we provide health services. And, and the last thing I'm going to mention, 24-hour dial television. For the love of God, please, on behalf of the electorate, vote that down if you have a chance, Roshan. You're the only elected representative. Who here would want to watch that? Yeah, I would imagine there'd be a lot of empty chamber viewing for uh, periods. But that's what they've had to half the time. There's nobody there. I don't know. That's... It's I, I wouldn't be a huge fan, but we have a Roxas TV already, so I mean it's already there. I don't know what they're planning. A great fan of that sort of thing is Vincent Brown. Uh, in fairness, Vincent argues very cogently that you know uh, the public is entitled at any time to see what's going on if it wants to, and have the wits bored off them. If that is their want. <laughs> and a, a lot says of the more worthwhile okay. work was on at committees. And a lot of that is, is overlooked. Yeah, and trust me, I, I do love a good committee. I sit there with my pen and paper and finding out things that I didn't know beforehand. Listen, Jonathan, says the listener, will you, all you media and rugby buffs get real? It was an exhibition match. They only beat Italy and it means little. Sure, can we not take it? Well, have you not heard the discussion we've had for the last hour? We need to take joy from the nine tries <laughs> against Italy. It was the only high point of the weekend and, and that is ahead of Valentine's Day. We say thanks to our panel, Brendan Keenan and Declan Power and Roisin Shortall thank you all very much for joining us